Welcome back to Balling in the Six. We're going a little old school this week. I'll be whizzing through four Raptors games in which Toronto went three and one. The first, we finished off a pretty easy homestand, as it were, with a hosting of the Sacramento Kings. The Kings, of course, have disappointed significantly this year after quite an exciting end. They're a team, one of those teams who are known as a rebuilding one. They've stopped tanking, they're coming out, they've got exciting young players with a good coach, a good GM, but they really flopped this season. However, this game wasn't as easy as we thought, thanks to two things. One, the Kings deciding to turn up and shoot out of their minds. They equaled a franchise record 23s this game. Uh, The reason, however, they got that, and the second reason why the game was so close in the end, Raptors, of course, triumphed 124 to 120. Eventually, after running out to a first quarter lead of 13, came very close in the end, was the very disappointing rebounding. The Raptors only grabbed 37 rebounds and allowed 12 offensive rebounds for the Kings. That kind of thing, and the Kings don't necessarily have that specialist big man. You know, they don't have a specialist number five in their starting lineup, for God's sake. They have Dwayne Dedmon coming off the bench, but if you're getting out-rebounded by Mr. Dedmon, and we did twice on the offensive boards, and in fact, we gave Corey Joseph, former Raptor, Corey Joseph, that little man, two offensive rebounds, it shows there's a significant problem there. However, on the offensive end, everyone in the starting lineup showed up. It was one of those rare games where we had... And for the purposes of fairness, I'm going to include the starting lineup as six people because Serge Ibaka is such an integral part and pretty much plays half the game, pretty much split the minutes with Gasol exactly this game. Everyone was in double figures. You had Lowry turning up, Siakam turning up with good shooting nights and Ibaka nine for 16 off the bench. Uh, We also saw Matt Thomas continuing his resurgence and that's a theme we're going to continue to look at later because... Then we started our five-game Western road trip with a nice trip to the Pelicans. Another team who, yes, I know they're Zionless, but they still have had a really disappointing season so far. They currently have a 1-7 and seven record. It's the worst in the NBA. It's even worse than the Knicks. And that's really saying something, but we're not going to delve too much into New York for now, because we're going to discuss a very healthy 122-104 win over the Pelicans, which pretty much came in the second quarter, and thanks to a brilliant double-double from Pascal Siakam, a 44-point double-double, may I add. However, it was the game that we lost two star players. Lowry and Ibaka both succumbed to injury this game, leaving the Raptors extremely shorthanded going forward. They did manage Toronto to survive the rest of it, Van Vliet dishing 11 assists, OG turning up 5 for 7 from beyond the perimeter, and the bench, Normal Powell really chipping in, and that was a theme we're going to continue to see because he had to start the next game against the Lakers. The Raptors started in LA without two of their star players. They were facing a healthy LeBron, a healthy AD, and a team really balling out with going into the game a 7-1 and record. However, well, let's add to that. Van Vliet and Siakam scored over 20 points each, but they had terrible shooting nights. Siakam, 9 for 25. Van Vliet, 8 for 18. 
it required something. It required something special, and it required for the first time Nick Nurse was forced to use his bench, and the bench responded. Chris Boucher put in one of perhaps this is his breakout performance. Perhaps we'll at the end of the season we'll look back at this and we'll say this is the game where Boucher became a Raptor. There was talk before the season of letting him go because yeah he may, he's not strong enough in the post. It's too skinny, can't grab the rebounds. But when you get three blocks against the Lakers, when you block the likes of LeBron and AD and others in that, you know, stacked Laker team, there's something there's something to be said on the defensive end. And that's not even discounting as he shot 7 for 11 the game. 24 minutes, 15 points, three blocks, two steals. Can't complain, can't complain. But he wasn't the only one. Terrence Davis, undrafted Terrence Davis turned up 5 from 8 from the field 3 from 5 from beyond the perimeter making clutch shots when he wasn't expected to he wasn't ex- Terrence Davis in any world would not even be playing in the NBA instead he's tearing up the Lakers at their home ground and interestingly enough he was perhaps played the smallest role of the three but Rondé Hollis Jefferson the man who played such an important role for the Nets last season a starter for a seventh seed Nets team last season, turned up with interior defense and great inside scoring. And lastly, I got to give a regular shout out to Matt Thomas. He only scored five points, only played 15 minutes, but those five points at the end of the first quarter, which stopped a six, turned a six point deficit into a one point deficit within seconds, were crucial for momentum. Overall, when you look at this win, you're looking at probably one of the best Raptors wins that we're going to have this season. It's not going to be a championship winning season. And you've got to enjoy the wins when you can. A shorthanded Raptors team beat the Lakers at their own game. This is the end of Lebronto. This is the end of the curse. I say that prematurely, but Nick Nurse seems to have figured out a brilliant defensive scheme to take the ball out of the star hands players. You have Lebron with a couple of turnovers. You have AD getting doubled by Van Vliet, who has proved very effective at doubling in the post while also covering his own map. AD was forced into five turnovers, and overall, the Lakers were disturbed. They were harried. LeBron was harried. He got 15 assists, but he only scored 13 points. He shot five from 15. The Lakers' role players couldn't hit threes, with the exception of Kuzma and Troy Daniels, who weren't especially good at themselves. Danny Green went 0 for 4. This was a fantastic... This was a win built on defense, aggression, and athleticism. Now, they couldn't continue it the next night. It was a Kawhi reunion. It was an emotional time. But it was a back-to-back in LA with, after the first minute, when Kawhi inadvertently gouged OG and Anubi's eyes. Um, it was a game without three of the Raptors' star players. And it was, in the end, a question of depth, despite how well, again, the bench played. Boucher... 5 for 10 from the field. Hollis Jefferson, he was 4 for 11 from the field, but he grabbed 9 rebounds and got 3 steals, as well as a block to add to that. And his defense, in the 29 minutes he played, it was the most minutes he's played this season. We all thought he'd be frozen out after those Nick Nurse comments, like Stanley Johnson has been frozen out. But he's shown he can deliver. He's shown he can match up with those 2-3-4. And he showed they can play a role going forward. Matt Thomas, again, Perfect from beyond the arc with his two shots, two for two from three. And he showed that he can be our JJ Redick. 
Going forward, I believe Nick Nurse needs to use this man in a more effective way. He is our quarterback. He is our Redick. He is our... Well, I was about to compare him to Steph Curry, but let's not go into blasphemy here. He's a very effective... He can buy you a basket when you most need it. He showed that against the Lakers, and he showed that in spurts against the Clippers too. The Clippers, however, you know, unanimously going to be champions. Very fierce on the defensive end. Um, Van Vliet and Siakam again had pretty poor shooting nights because they were targeted they played 45 and 44 minutes each shot 6 for 20 and 6 for 17 respectively not great nights for them Norm turned up Norm Norm was actually the second highest scorer on the team he turned up but in the end uh, it was just too good a Clippers team second night of a back-to-back a very short-handed the Raptors should be proud of their performance and it could be a blueprint against those big teams going forward and I know we last time we talked about the idea of these games showing where the Raptors are at. And I think that this season, so far, has gone better than any Toronto fan would have expected. It's 7-3 on the boards, but going into this, we were expecting two resounding losses at the hands of the two very, very strong LA sides, who are both, in their own rights, favourites to win the whole thing. But we went to their ground shorthanded, and we competed in both of them, won one of them, just lost the other. So I think this is a great blueprint going forward. And I think Toronto go to Portland tonight at the time of recording. It's another chance on the West Coast to show their credentials. And I think win tonight and Raptors fans can truly start getting excited. So this week we're going to be trying a slightly different format because me and Kamel haven't found the time that corroborates and works for both of us. So I'm just going to be recording a voice message about two aspects of the NBA this week that really stood out to me. And really I'm going to be focusing on two teams. So firstly we're going to be looking at the Charlotte Hornets and I believe they were my prediction for the team that was going to finish bottom of the East. So yeah, that hasn't really turned out well. And the second team I was going to look at was the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm going to start off with the Charlotte Hornets. I know many Charlotte fans from just forums I've read, they seem to want to see Graham, the um, rookie, now take, well, actually, sorry, apologies, not the rookie, but now in his sophomore season after playing a limited role last season. Charlotte fans now want to see him taking those point guard reigns and to see potentially Terry come off the bench. Now, to analyse this further, by no means has uh, Terry had poor starts of the season. Um, he's on around 17 points a game, I believe a good number of assists a game, maybe around the 4-5 assist a game mark. But to analyse whether uh, Terry should be starting or not, again, it's the important aspect actually to look at Graham because Graham has been fantastic. Now I know he had the 35.7 assist game. He has fantastic, fantastic court vision. This has never been Terry Rozier's great strength, but Terry is a very good ball handler. He's he's okay at finishing the rim, not great. He is a good facilitator, but I, I would say um, with Graham, just to highlight one play that makes him stand out in that 35 point game performance, there was a point where he faked uh, going up for a free, 
and did a sidestep. I, I can't, I'm not sure if I'm describing this well, but you know when players do that pump fake free sidestep and then take that open slash sometimes contested three, depending on if they faked out the defender. Well, the interesting thing here was uh, with Grain, he fakes out not only the man on him, but it, it was a pick and roll, so he fakes out uh, the role man's defender also. Seeing that, he doesn't actually take the three, even though he's pretty much open. He dumps the ball off to Marvin Williams, I believe it is, and makes a really quick backdoor cut and finishes with an open layup, a layup before the defense could rotate over. That is the type of action that I very, very rarely see. Again, in today's NBA, if you have an open three, you take the open three. For a young point guard to have that much confidence, to be that patient, and I think that's a key word I want to focus on with him, is patient. There was a number of times where there was, say, 10 seconds or less uh, remaining on the shot clock, and the ball was just dumped off to him after the offense stalled out in that game. And he didn't panic, but in instead he just tried to make the right play. He didn't go up for like a contested mid-range jumper, but Again, there was another one where there was five seconds there left. He drives into the paint, and when the center rotates to help, he dumps it off to the center, who then, uh, I think it was Bismack at that point, and who then finishes the point off, pay off, sorry. So, yeah, that, that's the word I would use for him. It's pa incredibly patient. Well, that's two words technically, but yes, I would absolutely love to see him take the starting point guard role, and I think the coaches said he's wary about it, he's not looking to start him now, but I I don't, ex well, if, if he carries on at this rate, but potentially what we could see is actually like a dual uh, point guard responsibility, say like we see in Houston, because of course Terry Rozier can also somewhat play that shooting guard position as well, potentially uh, that could be a way forward for this team. So that's one aspect I wanted to analyse, the, the two guards for the team, and Another reason why this team has been so successful is, let's say, P, well, to the two wings, because we know what to expect from, say, like a Cody Zeller, a Bismack Biombo, uh, Marvin Williams. These are all uh, solid players, but they're not really changing from season to season. The reason why this team, again, has been surprising is the play of both PJ Washington and, well, the improvement that we are seeing from Miles Bridges. Now, Miles Bridges is most certainly in the conversation for most improved player this year and uh, to highlight some of his play so he has been a competent on-ball defender um, I think all Hornets fans would agree that he still has work to do when it comes to his uh, off-ball defense he does get beaten far too often backdoor for example and this this is not something that should be happening again he has a reasonable basketball IQ and he has good athleticism, natural quickness, good strength. Um, so this is really something that's down to our concentration. So hopefully uh, we should look to see that improve. But the main strides in his game that we've seen so far is his shooting, which was again the main, a big reason as to why he was drafted in the first place. But he's shooting around 40% from three. 50% from the field, both excellent splits of course, his free throw is a, a bit lower but he, 
doesn't shoot that many free throws a game. I believe he's around the 70-75% mark, um, which isn't great. Something about his uh, scoring ability. So he's a very, very strong boy. Like he, when he gets into the paint, he uses his body very well and doesn't get bullied in layups when it comes to just finishing in the paint generally. He has good athleticism in the sense that he's got good balance around the room as well. So when he does get to the room, he's excellent. But um, I think one thing he has trouble doing is actually getting to the room because he's still quite limited when it comes to his ball handling. He doesn't really have many moves in his arsenal. And the way he has been getting to the rim and to the basket is either, say, a backdoor cut off ball or um, somebody setting like a screen for him and him utilizing that screen effectively to get to the lane. But it hasn't been because, you know, he's taken his defender one on one and uh, dribble past him to get into the lane. So if he wants to become, you know, that all star caliber player, uh, I think he really needs to improve on his ball handling. So I've already talked about his defense, and when it comes to his vision, um, an issue I have here is his assist-to-turnover ratio. I believe it's, he's on around one, one and a half assists a game, and he's turning it over two and a half times a game, which, given the fact that he doesn't attempt that many assist passes, I think that's quite a, it's a worrying high turnover rate so I think that needs to calm down and um but given despite the fact that his uh, assist numbers are low I do think he has decent court vision and um I can't really say anything more than to say if you just watch the film um he, he is he does have good court vision I just think he's the timing and the positioning of his passes isn't great it's harder to work on a playmaking IQ as opposed to working on the physical dimensions and aspects of a pass if you see what I mean like that's something you can just train in the gym just like repetition 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 in order to improve his path whereas playmaking is very very hard to teach so on that side of things when it comes to playmaking I actually think right now it's not fantastic but he does actually have a lot of upside in that department uh, so this has gone on for quite a while so uh, to quickly well, I'm not even going to go into PJ Washington much, I think. One thing I can say about him, he's had a very good defensive impact because his team has needed, let's say, a defensive anchor, which he has been so far. And his abilities to switch onto multiple positions is very promising. This is all encapsulated. I think he had like a five-block performance. So that's my analysis of the Charlotte Hornets done. To be honest, I, I'm not sure whether I expect them to keep this up. I don't really. If they do make Grain the starting point guard, then I could see them actually even improving upon this performance so far. However, I don't see that happening, and for that reason, I'm still a bit down on them. Just to mention two other things, uh, Jeremy Lamb isn't getting enough minutes, and Michael Kidd Gilchrist looks like his NBA career might be done. He's pretty much out of the rotation, which is sad to see, but... Um, those are the last two points I'm going to make there. So moving on to the Minnesota Timberwolves, if you guys can tell so far, without Kamel moderating, I do have a tendency to waffle, so uh, I'll try to keep this analysis more concise. So looking at Minnesota, really I'll, the main focus is going to be Andrew Wiggins. Now, 
there's a fantastic YouTube channel um, called MDJ. He made a video last year on a 40-point performance that Andrew Wiggins had, and he shot well in that game. I can't remember who it was against, but it was an excellent video because he basically talked about how it was one of the most demoralizing games to watch for a 40-point game. It was Andrew Wiggins essentially making contested mid-range jumpers, just taking horribly inefficient shots and just essentially almost being lucky that they went in, uh, just relying on, relying on pure skill. This is the reason why Andrew Wiggins was being flamed so hard uh, last year. Was basketball IQ was absolutely horrible last season. I, now, I don't want to dwell too much on his last game. I don't know how many points he had, but he had seven assists a game, and I think something like 15, but they call them potential assists a game, where if the guy he passed it to had finished the shot off, um, he would have ended up with 15 assists. Now, I don't want to take that one game and overhype it because, yeah, the internet has gone absolutely crazy for that game. Um, everyone's saying, oh, look how Andrews turned it around. He's going to have his breakout year this season. But what I did see in that game was he appears to be far more aggressive. And this is backed up by the statistics in the first, I believe, well, I think they've had eight games so far. He's almost doubled the amount of drives he's had a game. He's getting to the rim far more often and surprisingly to most, been finishing excellently around the rim. Off foot layups. He's doing these exaggerated strides in the lane, which are, if you look at like Yanis and Pascal Siakam, uh, it's Euro step aside. It appears to be the most effective way in today's modern NBA to actually get uncontested layups, just to take these really long, almost triple jump-like steps in the lane to kind of throw the defender off. And that's what Andrew Wiggins was doing. Uh, again. This was not what he was doing last season. He, he was kind of off balance and barreling to the rim. So now not only has he got this excellent balance and agility, but again, his touch around the rim is, is great. And I've always thought it was great around the rim, which is why it frustrated me so much that he didn't do it more. So that's one aspect of his game that's improved it's again being more aggressive and that also comes with cutting out those mid-range jumpers they kind of go hand in hand his three-point shooting still needs work and just looking at his mechanics um i think his arc is not only too flat but it's inconsistent but when it comes to his playmaking he's actually making somewhat difficult reads which is just unbelievable last season there was so many times where there were open perimeter shooters this is say in like a half court setting for example and he would be taking his man one-on-one -on -one. the rotation help would come over and he would rarely if ever make that pass to the open three-point shooter but he's actually starting to make that pass but yeah it's not just that he's finding like open three-point shooters but this is not so often but he is making nice passes into the paint, say uh, on the pick and roll with our Anthony Towns, they're starting to find chemistry there. So to sum it up, offensively, his game seems to have taken leaps and bounds and it's really down to just playing more intelligently. Perhaps this has something to do with the fact that it's no longer Tom Thibodeau there 
and he's not wearing out his players, the coach isn't purely focusing on the defensive end anymore. So moving on from Andrew Wiggins, um, I'm not even going to talk about Cat much. Um, he's just been playing how I expect him to play. He's been an absolute monster defensively and offensively. Um, so moving on from Cat, Okoji, this looks very, very good on the uh, defensive end. Now, this is with a caveat because, of course, he was the primary defender for D'Angelo Russell for his 50-point game. However, please, please, please watch the highlights of D'Lo's 50-point game because that was the most impressive 50-point game I think I've ever seen. The difficulty of shots he took, I counted at least five very, very difficult contested mid-range jumpers. His primary mode of attack was to get a screen. Um, this was either from Marquis Chris or Spellman or um, Willie Crawley Stein. It was to get a high pick and roll screen. This is where I'm going to tie it back to Okoji. Okoji still, I think, he needs to really improve on getting round the screen because he had a lot of difficulty. Well, he was just getting stuck, really. The big man wasn't letting him through. The Minnesota defensive system appears to be cut cap is dropping off quite a lot so it did allow D'Angelo Russell to get a couple of open threes but for the most part he was dropping off and kind of enticing D'Angelo to take um, those difficult contested mid-rangers if the superstar of the opposing team has to perform at that level and try and replicate that kind of performance I think Minnesota would be very very happy to let the opposing superstar player put up 40 points if they're happy to do so with that level of difficulty. So quickly with Okoji, yeah he needs to improve on the shooting but the def defensive impact and the tandem he's formed with Robert Covington who's having a fantastic defensive start to the season. I believe he's on around like a block and a half and a steal and a half a game so far. This is a Robert Covington who's coming off um, quite a serious injury. Overall, um, he's not shooting so well, but I expect his shooting to go up as he's recovering. And overall, I expect this team to improve as the season goes on because what Tom Thibodeau did to those guys last year was, it was sad. Like these guys were playing 40 minutes a game. And so that's why you saw so many niggling injuries that's why you saw Jimmy Button leave, there, leave them halfway through the season because the guy, honestly, he just lost the plot. He was, he, given the high intensity of today's NBA, it's such a horrible strategy to go with and he should have learned his lessons after all the injuries Chicago had when he coached them. So basically, a lot of those players are still there. Um, apart from, aside from the ones I mentioned, Gorgie Jang is still there. I think Noah Vonley is a new addition. I believe he came from Portland. But yeah, I, I just expect this team to really improve uh, given the horrors of last season. So that's wrapping things up. Those are analysis of two teams that aren't really near the tops of their respective conferences, but have perhaps surprised uh, not only myself, but NBA fans in general. So again, hopefully this hasn't dragged too long. If it has, I expect my excellent uh, co-host, let's call him, to cut out some sections if I potentially waffle too long. But yeah, hopefully you guys uh, enjoy this format and it doesn't feel 
I guess too disjointed when comparing to like the normal conversational style of things that we normally have. 